Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. Mark chapter 14, almost at the end of Mark. How long has it been, Leah? Okay. All right. Hasn't been a year, so I think we'll finish before a year. Yeah. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 to 31. All right. Let's see what we dealt with last week. So Jesus is nearing his crucifixion. Disciples complain over Mary's use of expensive perfume to anoint Jesus Jesus commends Mary for her sacrifice. Remember, that was about uh, a year's worth of salary that she poured out on Jesus' feet, anointing him. Jesus again alludes to his death. When he commends what she did, he said she did a good thing because she was preparing him for his burial. So symbolically, She's anointing his feet, and Jesus says, she's preparing me for my burial. Jesus alluding again to his death. This is something the disciples had a hard time processing, that Jesus came to die. And then we saw that Judas sets up the betrayal. Judas, along with the other disciples, speaks out against this waste of money. We could have sold that perfume and fed the poor. Was Judas really concerned about feeding the poor? No. Judas had greed in his heart. And right after this event, Judas begins to conspire with the chief priest how they might betray Jesus Christ. So that's what we looked at last week. Okay? The entire time during Christ's earthly ministry, did he do miracles? Yes. Was he a phenomenal teacher? Yes. They said no one has wisdom like him. Surely he just can't be another rabbi. There's something different about him. But aside from his teaching, aside from the miracles, Jesus constantly throughout Mark's gospel is letting them know The Son of Man has come to lay down his life. And it's almost as if that was not good enough. Like, yeah, but what are you going to do now? Like the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, healing of the sick. Man, you are powerful. Let's set up the kingdom now. And all throughout Mark's gospel, we've seen it over and over where Jesus keeps saying, No, that's not why I came. It's not why I came. I came to lay down my life. And we're getting close now. The Passover is taking place. Thousands of people are in the city of Jerusalem celebrating this week-long festival of the Passover. And Jesus is going to ultimately end up being betrayed on the night of the Passover. 
Picture that. Lambs being killed, all these animals being killed for the Passover, and then Jesus himself is going to be betrayed that same night, ultimately crucified on a cross. So as we start this section, let's ask God to open up our understanding. Father, as we read your word, open up our minds, our hearts to receive your word. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So we start at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him. So this is right after what we saw last week. The incident with the women, or with the woman with the uh, perfume. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. Remember, the chief priests, they wanted to arrest him. But they didn't do it during the time because of the Passover. Again, there are thousands of people in the city, and Jesus has notoriety. Jesus is famous. You don't want to go in the midst of all these people and arrest Jesus. It could start a riot. And remember, Rome is in control. Rome is allowing the Jewish people to do these Jewish festivals. Rome could care less about them. But Rome is also very serious about keeping the peace. And they knew that if things got out of hand and it got back to Rome, everybody could be in trouble. So the chief priests, no wonder that they are happy, that they are glad. <laughs> because who's coming to them? One of Jesus' own. It's like, yes, this is perfect. One of his own is going to betray him. That's why they're glad. And they said, you know what? We're going to give you money. Now, if you read the other accounts of this, it fills in more detail. Because it says that Judas looked for an opportunity. For an opportunity when he could betray him. And we know it's going to happen at night. When the crowds aren't around. While he's in the garden. So this was premeditated betrayal. So the chief priests are happy. Man, we will pay you. Just make it happen. You say when, what time, we will pay you. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So now, Judas is planning what he's going to do. But remember, Jesus, he is celebrating just like a Jew would, the Passover meal. And so the disciples are like, hey, where, where should we go to prepare to do this Passover meal? So he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now, why is that unusual? Because in that culture, usually women carry the water, not a man. Again, picture what's going on here. We're in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of people. How in the world are you going to find this person? Well, one, he's going to stand out in the crowd because it's a man. <laughs> right? Here, here we kind of see, even in this little narrative, that the sovereignty of God. We see, again, Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. And him knowing all things. He says, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. He will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So Jesus has this all arranged. 
Again, thousands of people in the city. Everybody's looking for a place to do what? Celebrate the Passover. It's kind of like going out at Easter and trying to find a restaurant. Right? Picture, that's what's going on here in the city. But Jesus is like, don't worry, guys. Go look for this man. And it's interesting. When you find him, follow him, and wherever he enters, <laughs> say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Can you picture that? The disciples are walking around. They're like, man, all these people. What is Jesus talking about? Oh, oh my goodness, look, there's a guy carrying water. Just follow him. And now this guy walks into whatever house he's going to go into, wherever he goes. <laughs> now say to the master of the house, um, you want to tell him? Because <laughs> this guy's walking in with the water. He's not the master of the house. He's walking into somebody's home who's owned by the master. So he walked in with the water and probably turns around like, these people follow me. And then the master's like, can I help you? Can you, can you, can you picture that? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Tell him what Jesus said. Um, yeah, uh, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Would you feel awkward saying that? Or would you have had enough faith to follow and do what Jesus said? Because what are you expecting the master to say? Excuse me? Get lost. Get lost. Are you crazy? And who's this teacher? Notice that Jesus did not even tell them to say, tell them that Jesus said. No, just say the teacher. So they go and they say it. And look what happens. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Oh, come over here. Up here. I mean, you, you, you just see how, how the sovereignty of God working 16 and the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them how did jesus know all of this was going to happen you see god working behind the scenes and they prepared the passover and when it was evening he came with the 12 and as they were reclining at table and eating and notice, whenever the Jews were having a special feast or celebration, they reclined at table. They didn't sit. You know, anybody have that picture in their house of the Last Supper? Everybody sitting at the table? Wrong! <laughs> That's not what it would have looked like. They reclined on what would have been like these couches, leaning on their elbows with their feet sticking out. That's how when the lady came and anointed how she was able to pour the oil on his feet. Because they're literally laying down like this. And the food is like right in front of us. So all these, picture all these sofas kind of pointing inward to this big feast with food. Now, I don't know why they reclined and ate. I, I would have a hard time. How do you eat a steak like that? I don't, I don't know. But that's what they did. So they were reclining at table and noticed that they were eating. Eating what? The Passover meal. The Seder meal. They're celebrating the Passover would have been a nice big feast. What do you think the atmosphere is? It's probably joyous. There's thousands of people in this city celebrating the Passover. And then Jesus says, truly I say to you, 
as he's eating his grapes. Hmm. One of you are going to betray me. <laughs> Can you see it? One who was eating with me. They were like, wait, what? Just the whole atmosphere just changed. They began to be sorrowful in the midst of what is supposed to be celebratory. And to say to him one after another, is it I? So the whole mood changed. Remember, they're having this meal on the night that he's going to be betrayed. See what happens. He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Now it's interesting that phrase, that he said, the way he says it, it is one of the twelve. It appears to be that there are more than twelve people in this room. Again, celebrating the Passover, you, in, you invite guests. Like, come on in. Come on in. You want to come celebrate with us? Yes. Why would me to say it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me? Now, we don't know for sure, but it appears that there's more, more people in there than just the twelve. But he says it's one of the twelve, one of my disciples. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Again, you see the sovereignty of God. He says, one of you are going to betray me. Is one of the twelve. But you know what? This is just as it is written. This is in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. One of the big evidences that we know Jesus Christ is who Jesus Christ said is over 200 and something prophecies that he fulfilled in his life. And he said, I'm going to be betrayed, but this is exactly what was written. Whenever you see as it is written, it's always referring back to what was written in the Old Testament. But even though this is what God prophesied long ago, notice what he says. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. I know it's in the sovereignty of God that I would lay down my life. And part of this narrative that's playing out, I have to be betrayed and then crucified. But woe unto the man that betrays me. Wow. And of course, we know that person is Judas. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, we could say a lot about this, but maybe in a discussion time, if you want to talk more about this brings up this whole issue of, well, well, well hold on, wait a minute. Judas is the one who's going to betray him. But Jesus said, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. In other words, what's going to happen to me has been destined to happen to me. The Old Testament writers wrote about it hundreds of years before his earthly birth. So why is Judas being kind of blamed? Like it sounds like Judas didn't have a choice but to do this. No, Judas did have a choice. He did have a choice. Because notice what he says. Yes, it is written that the Son of Man will be betrayed and crucified, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Indicating what? This is something that Judas, in his own wickedness, decided to do. Was he going to be betrayed anyway? Yes. But Judas still has 100% culpability in this. He chose to betray Christ. You see the sovereignty of God interacting with the free will of man. 
Again, that's a big conversation, I know, but it, I think sometimes you make it more complicated than it needs to be. God has a plan that he will do. As it is written, God determined before the foundation of the world to send Christ to die. Think about that. How does God accomplish what God is going to do? Through the free will of us. Does that make sense? God is going to do what God's going to do. As it is written, I know I'm going to be betrayed. But God uses the choices that you and I make, that you and I make freely to accomplish his will. That's powerful. Only God can do that. So I picture it this way. And it's, you know, there's always an inaccuracy with trying to picture things. But I picture we're all... We're all like these pieces on a game board, right? And we're all making these individual choices. And based on all the different choices we're making on the game board, God has a plan over here. And God's taking the choices that we're freely making and putting them right into his plan. <laughs> and his plan works out. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. In John 13... The other account of this. Notice how John records this. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. It's probably John. So Simon Peter motioned to him, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. It's a key picture. You're all sitting there eating. Jesus says, somebody's going to betray me. And Peter looks at John like, ask him. Like, ask him, ask him what he's talking about. Go ahead, John. John's probably sitting there like, I'm not saying nothing. No, we're talking about betrayal. I'm not, I'm not touching this. So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. See, John tells us exactly who it was. Mark leaves out that it was Judas. So he hands it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, notice, Satan entered into him. Wow. That is, into Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. So again, Judas freely, out of the wickedness of his heart, out of the greed in his heart, determined, I got a way that I can make some money. I'm going to get rid of Jesus. Totally held responsible for his actions. So we go back to Mark 14. And as they were eating, notice, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, now this is, this is what, what, what follows now is what we know as what? Communion, right? But we don't quite do communion the way it was done. Now I would like to get to the point where we do communion the way it was done. 
biblically. What do you mean? Notice what 22 says. As they were what? Eating. He took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this. Take, this is my body. In other words, what we know as communion was done at Passover during a meal. And even as we look at the New Testament after Christ rose and the early church continued to celebrate communion, it wasn't how we do it. We just take the little cup and the wafer and we normally go through this passage. Okay, and, and we do that. But the way the first century church celebrated communion, it was a meal. And at some point during the meal, they paused to do this. So with COVID and everything, I know it's a little crazy, but I would love for us when we do communion to actually have a meal together, to do what the first century believers did. They had a meal and at some place during the meal, as they were eating, as they're partaking, hey guys, let's just pause here now and celebrate communion. That's the way it was done. And I would love for us to get to the point where we'll do it that way. So they're having this Passover meal, and then Jesus pauses in the middle of this meal and says, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. Now, we won't do that. <laughs> they all drank from the same cup. We're not going to do that. Yeah, I thought you want to be biblical. I know. So it's a one of y'all thing. I thought you wanted to be biblical. Uh there are some denominations that drink out of the same cup. Monique and I, we were, a number of years ago, we were at a Lutheran church at uh, my grandmother's funeral, and they did communion. And we're standing there, and Monique is expecting, I think, our second child at the time. No, our third child. It must have been Matthew, but I forget. But we're sitting there, we're all standing there, and they, they break the bread, and they take one loaf, and Everybody takes a piece of the bread off the loaf, right? Okay, yeah, that's kind of accurate. And then the priest or the minister drinks from the cup and passes the cup around. And everybody starts passing this big chalice around. And I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> I don't want to drink after anybody. But after it got about to the person right before me, you could smell the, it was alcohol. You could tell it was, it was real wine. And I looked at Monique, and I was like, that's real wine. She was like, I can't drink that. I'm pregnant. And I was like, because we're all up front. Everybody's like, I said, well, just, just fake it. <laughs> so she's just kind of going like that. But if we all drink out of the same cup and it's real wine, you don't have to worry about germs, right? The alcohol kills it. The other reason we should be using real wine. Now, I know I'm going to get an email for that. But anyway. But there was something about them all drinking out of the same cup. It really was. It, 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 it meant that you know, we're, we're, we're a community. We're in this together. We, we celebrate this together. It had deep relational ties to it. We all drank the same cup. Whatever happens, happens to all of us as a group. See, we miss that with our American individual little cups with the little snappy things. And again, I thought it's the way we do it, but we, we miss some of the significance with, with some of the things that were originally done. And I'd like to try to get back to some of this, but 
He took the cup, he gave thanks, they drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Again, speaking of what? What's about to happen shortly. He's going to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Do you see the hope in the midst of a dark, dark, somber event that is about to take place? Look how this started. Festive, Passover. Uh, one of you are going to betray me. Oh, what? Judas, it's you. Can you imagine what the other disciples are thinking in that moment? Like, oh my goodness. Were some of them like, I knew it was him. I knew it. He's always complaining. He's all, remember he was complaining about that woman with all the money and we, see, I knew it was him. Who knows, right? You know how it is when somebody gets caught out, all of a sudden everybody knew everything. A lot of times that's just gossip. But imagine how those disciples felt like, wow, he's, Judas has been with them the whole time. Now he walks out. And now they're continuing to eat. Can you picture the atmosphere? It's probably not so jovial, but they're continually eating. And now Jesus offers communion and says, this is my body. This is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. You see how the whole atmosphere changed. But here's a spark of hope in the midst of it. Because he says, as you guys are drinking this cup and you're passing it around, you're passing it around. Truly, like, hear me. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Imagine them drinking it and they're like, wait, what did he just say? They start to put it together. Wait, like, he's about to die I still don't think they all got it, but they're like, okay, he's going to drink this again in the new kingdom of God. I'll drink this new in the kingdom of God. Do you see the hope there? Like, wait, so there's going to be something after this. Now, again, I don't think in a moment sitting there that they understood the significance. Because what happens when he gets arrested? They all scatter and leave him. But I think after the resurrection, when he appeared to them, they were like, it's all coming together. So you're the lamb of God. You're the Passover lamb. You came to die to make us right before a holy God. Oh, now we get it, <laughs> right? But then he went back up into heaven. Did some of them remember this? I believe it came back to them. Because as they saw him go back up into heaven, the angel said, why do you stand here gazing? The same Christ you see leaving this way will return again. How much or how much of this passage came back to their mind? Wait a minute. Remember at the table when he said he's not going to drink again with us until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God? This is what he was talking He is going to come back and set up a kingdom. I think it all started coming together for these guys. Took them a while, didn't it? <laughs> Takes us a while too sometimes. And when they had sung a hymn, now you see the mood going back to jovial. They went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Now they're on the Mount of Olives. All this has taken place. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. <laughs> Emotions going down again. For it is written, again, quoting an Old Testament passage, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Man, Jesus is just showing his cards. I'm going to die. This is my blood. This is my body going to be sacrificed for you. Don't worry. One day we're going to do this again. We're going to have another feast, but it's going to be in the new kingdom. Oh, by the way, all of you are going to forsake me. Wow. <laughs> again, fulfilling another Old Testament prophecy, and that's exactly what happened. Notice the hope again starts to go up. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now here's old Peter. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly. And again, that's like, hear me. I say to you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Wow. Can you feel the emotion in this room? We're now on the Mount of Olives. He just said, you're all going to scatter me. Jesus is like, not me. Maybe they will, but not me. I will die with you. He said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Like, yeah, 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 us too. Yeah. That night they all scattered. How fickle was their faith? And how long had Jesus been saying, the Son of Man has come to lay down his life? But when things got rough, when things got hard, they all left, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies about what would happen around the life of Jesus Christ. So let's think about it. The goal was always that Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of mankind. And that's what they didn't get. They wanted this kingdom now. They wanted Rome off the back of Israel now. They wanted power for themselves now. Remember the brothers fighting? Can I sit at your right hand? Can he sit at the left hand? Arguing over who was greatest in the kingdom of God. Remember all that? They just didn't get it. They wanted something now for their life. But the goal was always that Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of mankind. The disciples kept wanting Jesus in their lives for what he could give them now. They failed to understand Jesus was going to accomplish something far greater. He was going to be the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. That's why it just, I crawl in my skin when I hear pastors preaching about Jesus in such a way where you add Jesus to your life like he's some divine genie that's going to make your life and all your wishes come true. That's not why Jesus came. He came to die for man's sin. But man, we don't want to talk about that, right? Because what does our culture say about sin? And that really don't exist. The disciples didn't get it. Our culture today doesn't get it. Jesus came to do what? Ultimately, the forgiveness of sins is what our greatest need is. I go back to what shall a prophet a man to gain the whole world and then to lose his soul. Our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. Why? Why? to be reconciled to the holy God. 
Bible says there is appointed to every human being a time to die. And then the judgment. Oh man, that will not fill pews. That's hate language. And I think we're living in a day where that will be deemed hate language. You can't say those kind of things. Those things are not, those things are just hateful. Those things put people in a state of fright and anxiety. You can't preach that way. I believe that's coming. I might be dead and gone, or I still might be here or in jail, but I think that day's coming. But you cannot talk about the life of Christ and not talk about sin. What was the point of Christ's coming? To be the Lamb of God. <laughs> to die for the sins of man. And what's happening today, and it's called progressive Christianity, they are gutting the message of Christ. Taking away the sin issue. Taking away a holy God issue. And it's becoming, no, Jesus wants you to be all you can be. It's not why Jesus came. You know, I have no problem at all with someone saying, I want nothing to do with Jesus. That's, that's your choice, right? Okay. I have a big problem with people saying, this is what I need Jesus to be. We don't get to determine who Jesus is and what Jesus said he came to do. If you don't want what he has, that's, amen. Amen. But what's happening now, and this is not even so much among our culture or our unbelievers. This is among evangelicals. This is among, um, among pastors who are now redefining who Jesus said he was. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? You're doing exactly what the disciples did. You're doing exactly what Peter did. Uh, excuse me, um, Jesus, um, you're not going to die on a cross. This is what evangelicals are doing now. No, it's not about the death and the sin. No, it's about love. Wow, what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. I know I came into the world. I'm headed to a cross. Because, listen, folks, if I don't have forgiveness of my sins, <laughs> when I stand before a holy God, I will pay for my sins. It's that simple. That's why the Lamb of God came, to die on the cross for our sins. Amen. So, the disciples didn't get it, but they got it after the resurrection. And the gospel began to spread. And here we are in 2021, preaching the same gospel, proclaiming Christ, forgiveness of sins through Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. <clears throat> God, I pray that uh, you would just constantly remind us of why Christ came. Lord, it's so easy to focus and go after all the temporary things in life. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but those things don't save. God, those things don't make us right in your eyesight. It's only forgiveness through what Christ has done on the cross. God, then we can truly begin to live knowing our greatest need has been taken care of. So, God, I pray that you will bless these truths to our hearts and minds. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the AFC podcast. I hope and pray today's word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's word. 
If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Dubs Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the Word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.